Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. To know Dixon Lee is to love him. A sales veteran in the skate and snowboard industries, he's represented a variety of major brands for over a decade. Obey Clothing, Taken, Dragon, 32, and more. He's also co-founder of popular dumpling brand Dickie's Dumps, something he launched a few years ago with his life partner Pearl Lam. He grew up on the Kowloon side of Hong Kong until he was eight. His parents did well for themselves. His dad was higher up in the insurance division of HSBC. His mom worked at a shipping company. In 1990, they decided to move to Canada in order to give their sons the best education. And Dixon spent the first two years here in ESL school. As he assimilated into North American life and culture, he discovered roller hockey and then skateboarding after a group of older boys noticed him with a board one day and offered to teach him to skate. When he found snowboarding, his career took off. A work placement as a tech at SportCheck and volunteering for events on the local mountains allowed him to make and meet friends in the industry, landing himself jobs small and big at the boardroom, Endeavor, and finally at NLA, where he's been for the past 12 years. In this conversation, we go into his life as a kid in Hong Kong, what it was like adjusting to a foreign culture in the 90s, his engaging story of how he became part of the skate and snow worlds, seeing people of color in the industry and what it meant to him, his passions for cooking and continually sharing and supporting Chinese culture, a dive into our shared love for space, aliens, astral projection, and other unexplainable phenomena, what he'd like to say to his friends and homies that gave him a chance along the way, and more. Please enjoy this fun and open conversation with one of my dearest friends, the loyal, caring, charismatic, genuine, and much beloved Dixon Lee who is one in a million. Dixon Lee. Hello. Welcome to The Craft. Long time coming. I know, I know. <laughs> you, you were on my original list. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get him in. Ah, I'm here, I'm here. Yes, and I love I'm it. I'm honored to be here. Yes. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited for this conversation. It's going to... It's going to be interesting. Yeah. We're going to go some different dimensions. We we are. (laughs) We'll put a pin on that because we are definitely going there. Um, But I love to always connect how I met someone. And you and I met probably more than a decade ago. Yes. We met through our mutual friend, Trini. Daryl Trinidad. Daryl Trinidad. Good man he is. (laughs) And he was having a birthday brunch in Yaletown. Him and I used to live in the same building. Oh, I know that building. We oh, used yeah. to run oh, our yeah. poker tours there. That's right. Yes. That's right. Shout out to a Surface Poker Tour, you know, if you're <laughs> listening. But uh, but yeah, and I was seated next to you. Yes. And that's how we met. I know. That's like, that's two lifetimes ago. It's I know. Crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. We became homies and then yes. met through you yeah some of our closest friend fam and so yes 100 very long friendship love it love yeah it. me too me glad too. glad we're still friends after all these years <laughs> of course i'm gonna keep you in my life forever till till we're old and gray yes <laughs> but uh let's take it way back mm-hmm. i don't know if a lot of people know that you were born in hong kong in kowloon on the kowloon side that's correct mm-hmm. mong kok represent 
And so you grew up there, um, and you're you were distinctly like middle class, which is where um, in Hong Kong you were saying to me that the Hong Kong island side is middle to upper class. Yeah, it's kind of like it, it's a little bit of that west side east side dynamic. Um, if you lived over in Hong Kong Island, like you're kind of like you know you're a little bit more baller than than the rest. Whereas Kowloon's more grounded, you know, like and it's like it's I I feel like it represents Hong Kong truest in my in my opinion. But yeah. Hmm. And what did your parents do? So my dad used to work at HSBC, and he was, I believe, and I recalled one of the directors of the insurance division at HSBC. So, um, yeah, he, he, he had a pretty lofty position. And, um, and my mom worked for um, a shipping company out of Hong Kong. So, you know, like middle class, double income. It was, we were doing okay for mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or they were doing okay for themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And if you were going to describe your, your parents to me individually, what, mm-hmm. how would you describe them? Well, uh, my dad was... Uh, Grew up in a pretty interesting time because you know they um, came down from China. His his parents and during Industrial Revolution, where Mao was kind of doing his thing, and then so they they went to Hong Kong, and he grew up um, family, of, I think six or seven. So there's some siblings. There's like three, four other siblings, and same thing my mom too. And then she, her um, dad, my grandpa was uh, pretty well off in China too, but because of you know his wealth, he had to leave China too. So um, both of them met in Hong Kong and uh, got married. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you went to school, you were in school like three to five already, right? Yes. Yeah, so and it was pretty hardcore, it sounds like. It is, It's and that's to touch on, you know, like the Asian style of education. You know, they want to start you young, they want to get you, like it's a really competitive landscape and you know a lot of listeners if you came from overseas or came from asia uh you you understand that dynamic so kindergarten's three grades and then from there you go they start you at three and then you move on to primary school which is our equivalent elementary school here and then you get into a high school Mm. and then high pressure just because you know they want to make sure you get out ahead and uh, just like different style of education over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you moved to Canada when you were eight. So that was 1990. 1990. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was part of that um, big immigrant wave in yeah. the 90s. Um, so, yeah. And you were in ESL for about two and a half years. That is correct. ESL. Yeah. What's up? English second language. <laughs> and um, to touch on that too a little bit. You know, Hong Kong was a colony and uh, English was also the second language. So there's, you know, I had some basis of, of English. You know, I know the alphabets. I know the voc- vocabulary, but, you know, speaking fluent, that's a completely different thing. So um, when we m- moved here, I was placed in ESL, um, but they also do a placement for other things to kind of like, you know, your math. But, you know, with math, like I was in grade seven math, but my English speaking skill was probably like grade one, grade two. Mm. And this is heading in grade four. So there's a few years of adjustment there. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had brought up the other day a really interesting term that I'd never heard before, astronauting. Can yes. you explain a little bit more like to listeners what that means? Yeah, and um, a lot of the you know, like the the Hong Kong kids that came over that time frame can attest to that, like, you know, you, the fa- when the whole family moved, usually one of two things happen. Either the um, the dad or the breadwinner stays behind in Hong Kong, keep making that money. 
and then send the wives and kids over or the whole family moves over. So when the dad stays behind and the family moves here, that's kind of, it's like there's a term called astronauting in Cantonese and that's basically what that was. Um, and my parents made a very conscious decision to move here as a unit and not to break up the family. And I think um, that was a pretty serious decision they had to make. But in the end, I think they definitely made the right decision for that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was based on education, right? They wanted you guys to. Yeah, like they want us, us to have, you know, like a bit of a um, more diverse education, I guess. And they realized the high pressure of um, the the Hong Kong education system isn't for us. And I'm glad that they made that move too because um, it would have been very different if we stayed in Hong Kong. Like, And I've I seen a lot of, you know, some, a lot of my friends that are in Hong Kong that went through it. And um, it's, it's just different. It's like high pressure, um, very academic driven. And uh, whereas here, it's more, you know, like self-development, creative. And I'm... Looking back, I'm kind of glad I got a little bit of both worlds. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your dad, um, HSBC didn't have a, a division here. No. So he ended up having to find a new job. That is correct. So did you, as a child, did you observe, was this hard for him to try to find a new job and make that transition from something he'd done for a long time? And, you know, it sounds like he was pretty high ranking. Um, and then having to find a new job, it's kind of, was it a sacrifice, do you think? on his? It was definitely a sacrifice on uh, both my, my parents and because, you know, right off the hop, it's a pay cut. But they build up enough um, equity to move here to buy a house and be comfortable for a little bit. And he ended up finding something in the in- insurance um, uh, industry, too. So it was okay but yeah it was like a bit of a pay cut but just like living a different lifestyle here you know so it was yeah it was yeah he, he managed there's to probably find some difficulties for sure in the beginning but um in the end he came out pretty good so okay yeah, yeah. and you what were you like as a kid um i was definitely more chubby than i am now <laughs> i'm definitely I'm, I'm a bit chubby now but you know definitely way more chubby because like i like i love to eat and uh i'm pretty sure i was a uh, a bit of a brat and uh yeah that that would be the two things i would kind of describe myself <laughs> a chubby brat chubby brat yes <laughs> yes likes probably likes to talk to quite a bit and yeah. run, run my mouth and uh yeah were you so like you're such a social person as an adult and yeah. you're a great connector were you like that as a kid as I'm well i'm pretty sure i wasn't shy right off the hop i'm pretty sure i wasn't shy when i was a kid and it kind of led to like you know, some of the personalities I, I, I became, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it, and, um, and I, you know, wasn't necessarily like, we didn't get in too much shit. Like it was, uh, but we were like, I had my group of friends too, when I first moved here and, you know, like we're pretty normal, um, kids that like to get in trouble sometimes, but mm-hmm. like got in fights every now and then it was a bit of that. So, yeah. But you were trying to figure out the Canadian culture, right? At this yes, time. Yes, for a bit. Um, you know, and kind of going back to uh, some of, uh, like, yeah, I, I re-listened to Pearl's podcast before I jumped on here. And, um, you know, she grew up very differently than I did in, in um, Canada. You know, she grew up in the 80s Vancouver, whereas I grew up in the 90s Vancouver, where around surrounding me and where I went to school, you know, when I went to school in East Van, it wasn't too much of a culture shock. 
like because there was a lot of immigrants that moved here around the same time too. So surrounding myself, there's a lot of, um, let's say, Asian faces or uh, Southeast Asian faces. And um, it wasn't as big of a culture shock, but learning certain things like uh, one of the <laughs> one of the biggest lessons I remember was in class um, going to the bathroom. That was a there's a distinct difference because in Hong Kong, like you want to go to the bathroom, you say toilet because they were using English, English, UK English. So toilet means the restroom, the bathroom. Whereas here, I got told, remember in grade five by my ESL teachers, like, hey, um, there's a different, there's like some nuances in this. If you want to go to the bathroom for number one, you say you go to the bathroom, but you say going to the toilet, that means you're going for number two. Really? So that's what I learned, like certain things, you know, like those are the cultural things that I started to pick up. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's just one little example. So that's really interesting because when I think of language, I think not of English being nuanced, mm -hmm. but other cultures being nuanced, that yes. things are not translatable into English. But it's it's interesting to hear that. Yeah, because British English and North American English, there's a few things that are interchangeable, but there's a lot of other things that are not interchangeable. So yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so you were you were into sports at first, right? When you're figuring things out, like were you yes. getting into hockey, like roller hockey? Yeah. And stuff so like that? how that came about was, um, you know, Growing up here, like grade four, grade five is kind of you, you, you meet your group of friends, whether it's in ESL or, you know, they're in the regular um, curriculum. I was kind of like, I watch people, what they do at recess. Recess is probably the best time to, like, figure out, you know, like, you play soccer, you play basketball, or you play ball hockey. And I guess hockey was one of those things that are very distinctively um, um, uh, Canadian. I was going to say American. Distinctively Canadian. And... My friends were like, let's go grab a stick at Superstore. Because, you know, Superstore is one of those places we visit weekly. And then uh, you come play. You come play ball hockey on, on feet. And that was my introduction to um, to hockey. Mm. And then from there in the summertime, like we um, uh, graduated to having rollerblades. So <laughs> get a set of rollerblades and we'll go play roller hockey. And then when winter comes around, then we sometimes will get ice time and like get get a set of ice skates and then we'll go play ice hockey. And that's how kind of that how that evolved. Yeah. And um, and I guess hockey was something I was exposed to because all my friends at that time were doing it. And it wasn't necessarily like, hey, I love hockey so much. It was like everyone's doing it. And, and you eventually got into it. You get in the culture with the hockey cards. And that's how like probably one of my first Canadian culture you mm. know like that's how I uh, got in touch with that mm. I love the story about how you got into skateboarding yes so that's another turning point in my life um, so grade 10 um, we moved further south like you know we were living in South Vancouver and one of my friends gave me a skateboard that he found and he's like, I don't have anything to do with this. Like, you want it? And I'm like, okay, cool. So I brought it home. And at that time, there was a group of guys that was living at the end of the block. And those guys always been skateboarding. And they saw me holding a skateboard. Like, probably all weirdly, you know, like, you know, now we call it probably like a mall grip. Um, look it up if you don't know what a mall grip is. And they're like, hey, do you know how to use that thing? I'm like, no. Do you want to learn? I'm like, yeah, yes, yes. I was not doing anything anyway. So 
And that's how I kind of got in touch. And they sh- started showing me, like, this is how you push around. This is how you do an ollie. And and then that whole world was very fascinating to me because these kids are, you know, like, um, much older than I was. I was probably, like, 13, 14, 15 at the time. And these guys were, like, 19, 20, 20. And they're living by themselves, you know. And weekends of parties. And they'll take up the alley and skateboard. So that drawn me into that culture quite a bit. And that was my first taste for skateboarding. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And then you eventually kind of moved into snowboarding as well. You found your passion for snowboarding. Yes. So the same friend that gave me the skateboard, he he started snowboarding. He's like, hey, let's go. Let's go snowboarding. And I was talking to some of the guys that were down the street, too. They're like, what do you guys do in the wintertime when it's all wet? And then they're like, oh, we go snowboard, too. So it was almost like a natural thing. Um, and I had to beg my parents. This was one of those things like, hey, can I go learn how to snowboard or can I go snowboard? They're like, no, you're going to fall up the mountain. Typical Chinese parents, right? Typical Chinese parents is like, oh, you're going to go up the hill. I'm like, but you were fine with me skiing. So I think a little bit of that was, you know, the rebellious nature at that time. You know, now just a thing that people do. But back in the day, like you're skateboarding, you're snowboarding. It's a little bit of that counterculture. And, you know, I was at age of like, Oh, you don't want me to do this? I'm gonna go do this. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of that too, especially with the uh, with the Asian parents, <laughs> and um, and then I ended up selling a bunch of my hockey gear and saving up a bunch of my allowances, and then kind of got a snowboard set up to uh, learn. And um, also that winter too, there was a uh, I remember this distinctly things distinctively. There was a program with the Vancouver Sun where they were offering um, like X amount of kids or uh, to to learn how to snowboard. If you're grade nine, grade ten, like you qualify for this, and it was forty five bucks, including a lift ticket, and you get five lessons. Wow. So that kind of propelled me into that area, and I quickly was like, hey, snowboarding is actually much easier than skateboarding. I might be better than this than than, than skateboarding, and that turned into that passion so yeah yeah. okay and this is grade 10 grade yeah like around grade 10 yeah yeah and then you found yourself doing a work placement at sport check which is kind of how you got deeper into the industry yes because you met your first kind of industry friend that's correct so um and then you know after a couple years snowboarding too i quickly realized oh i'm never going to be a sponsored snowboarder like i'll never be that good so in my mind like how can i weasel my way into this industry where I could at least get, you know, discount on product or get some free stuff. And I started thinking or plotting a a little bit subconsciously. And for high school in British Columbia, I I don't know if they still do this. I think they do. Grade 11, grade 12, you need to rack up X amount of um, work experience hours. And they'll offer you different, um, you know, internships or job placements. And when I saw there was a position for a shop technician for the intern. I, I went for it and they're like, okay, yeah, you could come work. It's basically free child labor. Like looking back at it, it's free child labor. <laughs> but um, I got into the, the sport check at Station Square. This is how old I am. You know, there was a sport check at Station Square in Metro Town. It's outside. Uh, it was still called Hogarth's at that time. And uh, I apprenticed as a shop tech because, you know, I get to work with snowboards. Uh, and then along with that too, like, yeah, I learned how to, you know, mount skis and sharpen skates and build bikes and string rackets. And um, and that's where I also met one of my first reps, uh, 
His name is Fred. Shout out to Fred. And he was the Rosano rep at that time. And he's like, oh, yeah, here's a pro form. You know, we did a product knowledge, like learned how to put products. And and I got my first pro form off him, which is, you know, like a discounted program for staff to buy snowboard products or whatever products, you know, that they were representing. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you wanted to work at all of the big shops and you and your friends started to volunteer at events at, at Cyprus and Seymour. You started to meet more people, Pear, yes. Jake Good. Yeah, exactly. So, and some of these names, you know, have came up in your past po- uh, podcasts mm-hmm. before too. And um, yeah, like the same friend that got me in snowboarding, he start. he was like, hey, you know, there was contests at a lot of local mountains at that time. You know, this is snowboarding in full swing. There was money being thrown around. It was like a glorious that was the, time. That was the heyday. That was definitely the so heyday. There was like tons of parties. <laughs> and um, he was saying like the boardroom slope style contest, they need volunteers. And then if you volunteer for a day, you get $100 to spend at the boardroom. I'm like, sick, let's go do this. Let's let's get her done. And, and that was kind of like my first real taste of, you know, like the actual snowboard culture. And met a lot of, you know, like, pro riders that you were looking up to and you know a lot of these guys i still look up to and at the end of the day you get a hundred dollars to spend at the boardroom it was like mind-blowing it was crazy um so and that's also when i met uh some of my mentors that you know there's a handful of them uh pair jay good and i would just bug these guys every season Hey, give me a job. When when <laughs> when is there a job opening at the shop? And you know, like at that time, working at a sh- snowboard shop down on West Fourth, that's almost like it's pretty prestigious. I, I I would think, you know, for you know, like an 18, 19 year old. And it was funny too, because you know, I was look listening to Bridget's podcast, and there's a lot of parallels. It was just like constant nagging. Hey, like, and she was nagging Aaron, and I was nagging Perrin Jake Id, and it's like, hey, when's your job opening? Da-da-da. And finally, in um, I believe it was like the fall of 20, 2001, um, Pear reached out. It's like, hey, we're opening up a, a clearance site to the boardroom. Would you like a job? And I'm like, yes, quit sport check on the spot. No notice. I'm like, I'm gone. And that's how I started at the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And that's 2001. Wow. Yeah. And then you ended up at Endeavor, no? Did, were you at Endeavor? Yeah. Or, so yeah. Endeavor was another turning point, too. Um, and as working at a at the snowboard shop, you meet a lot of reps, too. So in the winter, sorry, fall time, when all the new product comes out, a lot of the uh, reps would come around to the shop and give product knowledges. And, you know, the founder of Endeavor, Max Janke, um, another great mentor slash friend, uh, he founded a snowboard company called Endeavor Snowboards. And at that time, he had a uh, sales manager with him, Chris Martin. Big ups. We call him Uncle Uncle Marty. And he was he it was, it was just drawn to him because, like, this dude's, like, kind of funny. He's big, you know, like, he, he, got a, he got a unibrow at that time. Very distinctive dude. And he was just like, hey, everybody loved Uncle Marty. And, and I had a chat with him after, and we kind of hit it off. And the next season, you know, long story short, he's like, hey, do you want to be a tech rep for, for to represent Endeavor? You, you're still working in the shop full time. But, you know, like when we do our demos and when we do our do our trip, like we'll take you along. Um, 
you know, it's not going to be a paid position, but we're going to give you snowboards and, and the trips are paid for. I'm like, yeah, sick. This and is you, great. You build all your friendships that way too, I right? I build a lot of my friendships that way too and just being on the road and and looking back at it, you know, like it's it, it's one of those probably cliche things to say, but, you know, like snowboarding gave me a lot, whether it's the friends, life experience, um, you know, some of the destinations that I've been to through through snowboarding, through work. Um, and I think the, the thing that I cherish the most is like some of the friendships that came out of it. And yeah, that's the mm -hmm. early, early days. Yeah, yeah. And then it was a shot in the province that kind of really shot you into the agency life. Yes. So um, at that point, I was a couple of years working into the uh, working in the boardroom part time, and um, to fulfill my 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 parents' wishes, I was still trying to go to post secondary, going to uh, university. And my heart was not in school at all. It was strictly a thing to do to make my parents happy and for a roof over my head so I'm not getting kicked out of the house. <laughs> you know, that was one of the deals. Like, hey, you know, like, if you, if you go to school, then, you know, like, you can still live at the house and, you know, I can still go do the snowboarding things. And it was one of those funny, funny situations. So um, one, I remember one winter um, morning, I looked up, kind of looked up outside. I'm like, oh, it's Bluebird out there. And it snowed the night before. It was like a weekday, like Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'm just going to pretend I'm going to go to school, but I'm going to actually head up to the hill and do like a solo kind of solo ride. And that was a couple of years working in the shop, too. So obviously, like I have like new gear every season. And um, when I got up to the hill, geared up. There's this photographer from the province that came and was like, hey, like, I kind of like your outfit. And can I take some, like, static photos of you? I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. And at this point, I was, like, dripped out in dub weather gear. And I got, you know, my 32 snowboard boots on. I got my, like, shiny, like, iris goggles. And it was just one of those times where, like, yeah, like, of course. Of course you could take a photo of me. So he got some shots, and then we parted ways. And I was doing my thing. It was, like, a great morning. And then I was coming off mystery uh, this is up at Seymour, the mystery chair, and cruising down one of the runs, and I saw um, this photographer just, like, crouch, he's taking action shots. So I think he just snapped a shot of me, like, like doing, just, like, cruising down Bluebird, and and I kind of, like, gave him a wave, and then the next morning, that sh shot ended up in, I think, like, the front page of, like, the B section of the province and I'm like oh yeah this is sick I'm like oh wait hold on <laughs> I my parents read the paper I know my prof reads the paper and my parents found out it's like when was this taken and I'm like uh yesterday got in shit for that obviously next week went back um to to class and the prof was like where were you last Tuesday I'm like uh I was up at the hill <laughs> no lying no lying I'm just kind of like oh, it's it's there right and then also, um, and that tied back into because of some of the brands I was wearing. Um, one of my other great mentors, Dave Bernie, shout outs to, to Bernie. He reached out and like, hey, like, do you get a shot in the province with like all the other? I'm like, yeah, OK, I'm going to put you on to the, our time bomb program. I'm like, whoa, what, what, what is that? Well, you're going to be our guy at the boardroom and you want to push just push our stuff first, which is at that time was 32 Boots, uh, S, Etni, East America. Like it was all like all the good brands at that point. Dub, 
and I'm like, oh, sick. Like, so, and then we're just going to send you a package, you know, like whatever you need, like once a quarter type of thing. And, and that's how I kind of built a relationship with those guys too. Um, and then that kind of segued into my relationship with um, Garrett Louie, Uncle G-Man we call him right now, and another past guest on, on your podcast. Um, he was the owner of Time Bomb Trading, which distributed all those brands that I, I spoke of. But he also uh, was one half of G-Man and Wrist, which ran all the hype nights in Vancouver. So, um, and that's how we kind of met to use like, hey, you want guest list for Wednesday nights at Grande? Like it was take all the shop kids down there, uh, Friday nights in International Atlantis. And I got a taste of that too. And it was it was a fun time. It was a fun, fun time during those, you know, we show up to work, hung over Thursday. Uh those were crazy those years. Those were good, good years mm-hmm. when, you know, there was like everyone's young and party and hung over. And it was it was great. It yeah. was a great time. And then you ended up getting a, a job at NLA when the timing was right. Yes. When that they had is the right correct. brands for you. Yeah. And then you've been there ever since. So ten years plus. Ten years plus been 14 years come July. It's wow. kind of crazy. So, um, and to segue into that too, you know, n- knowing the Time Bomb guys, knowing the um, uh, Endeavor guys, getting a little bit of experience under my belt, uh, I knew, I think, like, it's either you move into a buyer role or you move into a rep role. And at that time, I, I'm pretty sure, 99% sure, I want to be involved in this industry one way or another. And I think the being a, a rep was the next move. So um, when NLA had the job posting for uh, 32 and Dragon, and they were basically looking for a snow rep, I'm like, this is my time right right here. And I and I pretty much pulled all my resources like, hey, Bernie, I'm going to go for this. Can you get my, like, you're going to have my back? Uncle Marty, like, am I going to use as a reference or are you going to have my back? And then I went to um, Per and Jay Good, same thing can like hey this is what i want to do it's been a great time here you know eight years but it's time to move on can you guys back me and then um i got the job at nla and that's 2008 wow yeah yeah and there you go it's been it's been it's been a ride it's Mm -hmm. been a ride ever since and you were saying to me the other day that it had been really cool for you to see garrett who was a night he was a non-white face in the industry and he was bossing and yes. it made you realize that you didn't have to be on the path that your parents wanted you to be on 100 percent, and i think at that point too i was because the this like the industry that i was in it was predominantly caucasian was probably white so it was very interesting and um eye-opening to see a non-caucasian face in the industry doing creative things because there is always this, you know, the stereotypical um, Asian story where you have to meet, you know, your, the expectations of your parents, um, be in a certain um, role, whether it's, you know, being a doctor, lawyer, uh, accountant, like your standard kind of like, you know, Asian, um, quote unquote, uh, occupations. And it was definitely um inspiring to say the least i'm like here we are we have this you know like uh really cool down to earth business and he you know he's he's chinese and he it's his skin's yellow you know 
Um, and then I met a couple other cats, you know, like shout out to the Kato's, you know, Sean, Tom, and then another homie Ephraim too, like shout outs, all these dudes made me realize, hey, like I might, there's the career in this, you know, and right off the hop, I know it's not going to be one of those industries that you're going to make the most money. But deep down, I know I'm going to have the most fun and be happy doing it. And I think at the end of the day, like my parents finally saw through the that and and then shift their focus on my brother. So yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> was, you're was, like perfect. I'm like, yep, yep The tar gets off <laughs> off my back. And so yeah, it was like a uh, there's a couple of years where you know there's a bit of a, like tension, like struggling tension between you know like expectation of my parents and what I'm actually doing because they actually didn't know what I was doing for the longest time. Like mm-hmm. all they see me every like, it's like, oh, you going off to the mountains again? Oh, you're going traveling again? Oh, you're you're snowboarding like all the time. Like, what do you actually do? Yeah, it and doesn't seem productive. No, hundred percent not. It's like to to their eyes, it was not productive at all. <laughs> it was all play. It was like all play. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely in all kinds of Asian cultures, there is that pressure to take mm-hmm. these kind of straight and arrow um, professions. Yes. And but you would hope at the end of the day that the happiness that you speak of and and the joy and the fun that you have in the work that you do, that, yeah, that parents will eventually see that because you would think at the end of the day that's what they would want for you is yep. your child to live a, a joyful life. 100%. And, you know, like, looking back to, and, like, my parents actually were pretty mellow compared to some of my other friends' parents that I kind of know, and I'm like, oh, man, like <laughs> I had it pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I remember distinctively, like, probably two or three years in working with NLA, uh, I brought them to to the showroom and they're like, oh, you actually have an office and you have a chair and (laughs) you're actually doing (laughs) work, quote unquote, right? Business cards. Yeah, business (laughs) cards. Yeah, like the business cards I had. I'm like, here's my business card. Um, So, and I could definitely see a bit of weight lifted off their their shoulders because they're like, okay, he's doing okay. He's not doing the best, but he's doing okay. And, you know, I think that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted take this conversation in a a different direction because this is what you do Mm full-time but you also have another business on the side Dickie's Dumps yes but I want to go back to the genesis of of all of that yes Um, people who know you have been friends with you or or have had the privilege of um, having any of the meals you've cooked Mm -hmm. know that you have this really big love for cooking and my question is where does that come from? And for you, is it more of a creative outlet type of thing? Or do you think it's a way that you show love to others? Um, it's a bit of both, for sure. Um, one of the things I didn't touch on in our little pre-interview is I was a scout for the longest time. <laughs> and it's not that I'm trying to hide it. Like It's actually something that I'm pretty proud of looking back at it. Maybe not at the time, but now I'm like, oh, actually, I learned quite a bit. From that and I was always the one planning the meals and you know like um, outdoor cooking and my my mom taught me how to cook at a young young age just because sometimes um, when she's at work like she won't be home after school and have to like can handle some meals with myself and at a very early age you know I knew how to like fry rice or cook some instant noodles fry an egg you know like bowl a wiener like cut some spam and pan fry that like things like that um, and also, I like to eat, too. So that definitely helps. Um, you know how some people like like to eat, but they don't like to cook? I like both. Mm-hmm. Because I want to figure out, hey, where these flavors come from? How? What is the chemistry 
behind like these intense or wonderful flavors why does things work with other things while you know some flavors don't work with other flavors things like that and that's where my love for food was at a very young age and also you know like growing up in hong kong that's you know it's like a haven for for food and vancouver we're very lucky here too in terms of having all sorts of different cuisines and access to fresh produce so um and also it goes back to I know um, I could always fall back on the cooking skills because, you know, if nothing ever fails, I could always just go go be be a chef or be a cook somewhere or line cook. Um, and one probably this started around like 2014, 2015. I started doing private catering gigs for like friends or like referral friends. And I would do them, you know, like three or four times a year just to be something completely different from what I do in the day job. So yes, in a, in a sense, it is a creative outlet for sure. And it's like, it, it um, grounds me and it, it almost kind of like it's, um, what's that word I'm looking for? It's uh, cathartic. Yep. And it, it's, it's calms me basically. Mm, That's, meditative. It's meditative. Yes. Um, so from there, it's kind of like, you know, three, four times a year and, uh, cooking for different people, cooking different styles, dinners, uh, learning different techniques, things like that. And I know I don't want to be a full-time chef at that point, but I know I want to be involved with food somehow, one way or another. So when um, Pearl, which is my partner, when she ran the Get Lucky Art Show for the second year at Fortune, she brought up the fact that hey like what's the chinese new year festival about food and i offered oh, like hey maybe we can make some dumplings and sell it at the bar super legally you know <laughs> <laughs> like when the parade's happening when, when the art show's going on so we uh over the course of a couple weeks weekends we cranked we made around like 1200 dumplings and um the rest was history like it sold out instantly and that's how Dickie's Dump, Dumps kind of started. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the beginnings of it. Yeah. And then you you guys like, hey, this is an opportunity. 100%. And yep. Pearl, you know, being being the businesswoman that she is, uh, and a lot of our friends were encouraged, hey, like maybe you guys could turn this into like a, a, a business, uh, frozen dumplings. And I never thought in a million years, I was like, hey, like we would have this um, rad little business um that's grown day by day and uh big shout out to pearl for pushing me into that direction too yeah and that's kind of how it started yeah. yeah and now it's like a full-fledged well you know what i love about what you do is you actually make the dumpling drops mm -hmm. so you've got this really personal connection with your customers yeah and i think that ties back into you know the the day job which is, you know, like being a sales uh, rep or a sales manager, um, the connections and the relationships you make with people are very important. And it's also due to because the fact that, you know, we're not that big yet and I couldn't hire anyone. So that's why I'm <laughs> driving around delivering dumplings. That's like the big chunk of it, you know, like let's not candy coat it. But I do enjoy dropping the dumplings off and, you know, like, giving a personal connection. And then a lot of times they're surprised, like, oh, you're you're Dickie? I'm like, ah, my name is Dickson. 
But yes, sure, you could call me Dicky because you know, like a lot of my friends, the close, the close friends that calls me Dicky. So it's right. kind of like it was. It's pretty funny. Like a lot of people, oh, you're Dicky. I'm like, yeah, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I am. And um, yeah, prior to this interview, I was actually just doing runs in Norfan. <laughs> so yeah. yes, where where are you guys gonna go with it from here? Do you think? I mean, you're retailing now, so that's awesome. Yeah, we've been uh, retailing, and um, that's been growing steadily and organically. And also, we kind of blew up over COVID, too, because people were uh, dead stocking frozen goods. It was almost like doomsday prepping in the early stages of uh, um, of COVID, and that really propelled um, our business quite forward. And we do, uh, we do want to make sure you know like we we, we don't, hey we feel very fortunate to have have that as because you know I was laid off from the from NLA for a couple of months nobody knew what was happening in the early stages of um, COVID and I remember driving around those first like three four weeks it was crazy it was like Walking Dead the mm-hmm. city. And um, but I st- still got to see a lot of the customers, you know, a bit from a distance, a lot of the friends that were supporting. And um, yeah, so we're ve- we feel very fortunate for 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 that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys um, plan on expanding retailers? Yes. And- we And we, we have like um, the last uh, couple of weeks as businesses are reopening or like, you know, restrictions are lifting. We actually had quite a bit of interest from a few different retailers. So now. We just need to figure out um, our our plan and our schedule, and we're gonna try to keep growing this thing organically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe a little, little more focus. We're gonna put more effort behind it too. That's and awesome. Yeah. So we'll yeah. go from there. Yeah, because you had to scale at some point. You actually had to get a manufacturing partner. That is correct. In. Yes. Like yeah, they have the recipe, the secret. They have delicious the secret recipe, recipe, and they have the um the techniques down, mm-hmm. and uh, we enjoy working with them quite a, very much. And yeah, like so that's kind of the next step. YouTube channel. There needs to be a Dickie's YouTube channel of you doing content of all kinds. All right, let's set it yeah. up, May. Let's set it up. <laughs> Let's put this down. I'll talk to Pearl too. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so the inside joke in in well between me you and Pearl is that we have the same food palette. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we like enjoy the same. Yes. Types of savory, sweet, yep. all of these things. Yep. So that's awesome. But we also share this mutual love for space and <laughs> <laughs> extraterrestrials and yeah. strange phenomena. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, like it's it's kind of fun to think about, right? And then also it's just one of those things like it's you know, we don't know anything. Like we're we we know nothing. Like Agreed. We know nothing. We like, need to just, live that way as if yeah, we know nothing. Yes. Always constantly learning and be be open about it, but also critically think at the same time. Not be not too too open. You know, <laughs> then it turns into like a conspiracy thing. But at least give it a give good things a thought, you know. Yeah. Like so yeah. Yeah. Remember when you sent me the um all that hemi-sync stuff and yes. Project Stargate information. <laughs> yeah. And then you dug deep and you found one of the um, recordings that they used yep. in Project Stargate yep. to get you into an altered state of consciousness yep. so that you can astral project, which yes. we both tried. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I felt like you had better results than I did, <laughs> for sure. You came out of body, so that... Yeah, you, yeah, like for, you were for, getting there. for a little bit. And then it was kind of like, oh, this is crazy. Like, And 
it's just one of the things like you know like just be open to things like why wouldn't why would you deny like you know like there might be different dimensions there might be an afterlife there might be like who knows we don't know any of this stuff so yeah that's that's what yeah, is, yeah, and in my case, like yeah. you came out of body, which they call OBE, yes. out of body experience. Yeah. But I thought I thought I just fell asleep. Yeah. But then I had gone to pick up um an old friend uh the next day and he never dreams. Yeah. And he told me when I picked him up, I had a dream about you. And he was he had a specific he remembered it. Yeah. So I, we called you. <laughs> Well, and you, you know, were very delighted. What was what was that dream? You need to share your your <laughs> listeners because it's pretty. It's a pretty awesome image. If yeah. You think about okay. It. Okay. So so basically, um, in the dream, um, me and this person were standing on a cliff. Yeah. And I fell into the ocean. Yeah. And this friend was panicked, trying to find me, couldn't find me. Somehow found himself in a boat rowing to another mainland, still looking for me out in the ocean. And then he said in the distance he could see me, he could see movement on the horizon. And that movement came closer and closer. And it ended up being me riding on the back of an orca whale. Like looking really, How really happy. How tight is that? How tight? That's like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he just, this person just never dreams. So yeah. we like to say that I totally astral projected into his consciousness. Hundred percent. Yeah, I would. And I, I would think so. And I do remember, like, I thought I fell asleep, but really, what I did was I just gapped out. Yeah. And I was somewhere. Yes. So you went into another dimension. I did, and actually, <laughs> I <laughs> a couple of months ago I was rabbit holing into um, like the twelve dimensions. Yes. <laughs> and I'll have to send it to you, but there is this uh, guy in India, young guy, probably mm-hmm. in his mid twenties, like early thirties, yeah. and he just deconstructs physics and. It's amazing the way that he um, explains things. Mm-hmm. And he has this video where it shows physically what dimension one to 12 look like. Great. And 12 looks so, so insane. So send I'm going to I'm I'm gonna have to send you that link. Please, please do. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love that I could talk to you about this. Yeah. We talk about this all the time. I feel like everybody should talk about this. Not right. feel like, you know, it's kind of taboo or feel like, hey, this guy's weird. You know, it's like it's 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 fine. Like we again, it goes back to like we don't know so much. We only yeah. know like a fraction of what's out yeah. there right now. So we don't. I've had some really interesting conversations with um with friends about even the concept of time and yeah. what time really is, and mm-hmm. maybe that time is actually not linear, but it's no. circular. Well, and then it goes back into quantum physics, and mm-hmm. it goes back into like, well, if quantum physics is real, then there's going to be other dimensions within this, and it everything's interconnected Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes so anyone who's in the closet about these things and wants to talk to anyone may talk to may about it and and also talk to yes yes (laughs) we're we're here it's a safe space open open arms we are open open. we are open but the earth is not flat (laughs) just just throwing it in there yeah let's let's drive that home (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm probably gonna get some fighting words later after this podcast but like let's talk about it let's talk about it uh well i want to bring this back to another thing yes and a few years ago your beloved partner pearl yeah um who's also a close friend of mine also former guest she was in a terrible biking accident Mm -hmm. and it was a really fraught almost like nearly life or death for her for the next 24 hours yeah 
and months of you supporting her recovery and obviously her community. Mm-hmm. But I want to know, like, what was that time like for you? To be honest, it's a blur. It was a bit of a blur because the like right after the accident, it was a bit of a fight or flight situation for for myself. Because, you know, she pretty much blacked out and then we had to go to ER and the ER was slammed at that time. And like it was a pretty serious 24 hours right after that. And then, you know, she pulled through and we knew there was like a long way to recovery. And um, so after that, it was kind of like, all right, what can we do as um, a unit with the friends and the family to to help her recover? And, you know, there was no big, there was no plan. It was almost like day by day. And I was looking back at it. I think it was more traumatizing for me than it was for her because I saw the whole thing go down. I saw how her face was. I saw how, like, you know, like she was knocked out. And then the fact that, you know, we were in the ER and I had to help the the ER dentist in training and her sister was there too to, like, you know, push some of her teeth back into her in place, things like that. Um, but, you know as as humans do like you just kind of have to you either sulk and roll up in the ball and shut yourself off or you just keep moving you keep moving and you roll with the punches and um and you know a lot of friends and a lot of my friends that were close with her too were super supportive um with her road to recovery and yeah she came out pretty pretty all right but you know there's still certain things like the post concussion um uh like you know short term memory things like that that are still you know come out every now and then but um yeah i think she healed up pretty good mm-hmm. yeah, yeah she really did she yeah. was such a trooper 100% yeah. and really that really was champion when i looking back to you know like it really um uh, amplified like how strong of a woman she is mm-hmm. and um yeah what do you love most about her um she's weird sometimes like Behind closed doors, she's a weird, funny person. And, you know, like, you know, you know her. Yes. And I, like, you know her close enough. Um, and, like, she'll always say, like, the most randomest things. I'm like, oh, like, that's coming out from you. But um, just the fact that she's super caring, you know, she uh, have a really close relationship with, you know, like, her, um, her sisters. Uh, the fact that, you know, like, that the, her, she, her underlying love for her mom um and that's probably some of the key key things and you know how creative she is too because she's definitely like a more creative than i am i'm kind of like a little bit of both like i'm creative but i'm also like uh what's opposite what's the, what's the logical other? logical too like you know like i'm i'm a libra through and through right mm-hmm. uh so it and you know in her podcast she said i balance her out but like she also balances me out too mm. And I think that's probably one of the things why why we work together. Mm. Yeah. Well, just a couple more questions yes. for you. You're very passionate, as Pearl is too, mm-hmm. about continuing to share the values and ideals of the Chinese culture. Yes. And yeah, I just want to understand more why this is important to you. And do you th- do you think it has any ties to you? Like, really, that is your motherland. Mm-hmm. I th- think so because. Grown up, I always knew who I was. I th- I think that was a big thing. I never really had the struggles of like, oh, I want to be white. I want to fit in. Like, I was, 
there was like some of that, but it wasn't the like the overarching theme. I knew when I, you know, like we, we talk about the lunch stories, especially the last last few years when the the Asian diaspora topic comes up and, you know, like mo- most of the common kind of thread was like bringing lunches to school. And like I said, I grew up in an area where we have a lot of immigrants and ESLs. So I never really felt that need to to bring a peanut butter and jam sandwich to school. And, you know, and we I remember trading lunches with some of the kids. I'm like, oh, your sandwich tastes whack, man. Like, how do you eat this for lunch? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm eating a freaking full chicken leg with rice and you're <laughs> eating that. It was like a bit of that. And um, and so from early on, like kind of like I, I, I knew who I was. And also the fact that, you know, like we go back to Hong Kong quite a bit, almost like every year that really um, uh, solidified the fact that, hey, like, yes, this is part of me. But being Canadian is also the other part and it can coexist. It doesn't have to be one overriding the other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. It really helped like I think those formative years going back to Hong Kong you know like having the culture there I'm like why would I want to put one above the other mm. so and then fast forward to present day and you know seeing the last few years where uh, especially with COVID with the Asian hate thing like all those things coming down I do you know like I guess subconsciously too like we're not out to be like, hey, like rah rah rah, like Chinese culture. It wasn't. It wasn't a bit that. It was kind of like, hey, we also have a very diverse culture or deep rooted entrenched Chinese culture, locally too, you know, in Vancouver, and um and seeing you know like, the, uh, yes, we have Richmond, which is great, but seeing how Chinatown and the state that it was in, it kind of like struck a nerve, I guess, and you know, and it was really refreshing seeing Pearl really trying to like push the Chinese culture to the forefront or not at least not push it, but like not lose it and do what we can do, you know, within our, our abilities to, Hey, like whether it's helping out with like Chinatown events or, you know, sending people down to some, uh, to, to Chinatown to like support some of the business down there. Um, you know, like whatever small thing that we can do, we want to make sure that zone thrives because mm. you know like those and there's definitely like a pretty vulnerable population down there too um so yeah i don't know if i kind of went too off no grid, no, no. But I was, that's great yeah kind of yeah. going off off my mind and honestly i've learned a lot from you guys as well um i can't remember the name of the film that we watched but remember it was five different vignettes oh yes 10 years yes 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 and we watched that yep and I just learned so much about the perspective, like the political perspective mm-hmm. of people who live in Hong Kong, obviously yes. told through this filmmaker's yep. eyes. But um, I certainly learned a lot about mm-hmm. the situation right now and where it comes from. Yep. And yeah, I highly encourage people to do that too. It's really important to watch foreign film, even if it's not your first language. 100%. I like. I can't agree more with that, you know. And... I always see, you know, like living in North America, like everyone almost like lives in a bubble. But go pay attention to foreign films. Go pay attention to some of like the, you know, the, the foreign events and um, it will only benefit you more. Yeah. And always learn, you know, like that's that's one of those things. Always For sure. Learning, so. 
And I also encourage people, if you are going to watch a foreign film, if they do have an option where it's dubbed in English, I encourage you to listen to it in its original language and read the English subtitles. Yes. Because you definitely lose something. Yes. When it's dubbed over. Yeah. Watch the dub version after and see what you get out of both. Exactly. Yeah, both versions. Well, just two more questions. Yes. To all those friends and homies you met in the skate and snowboard industry Mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. Who took a chance on you, gave you small jobs that turned into bigger ones. Yeah. What would you like to say to them right now? I love you all. Like, you know, maybe we don't see each other as often as we like. You know, like, you know, um, we're in the 40s. You know, people have families, have kids, have whatnot. But I always, I can always know that, like, it's a family that I can fall back on. No matter, like, if we see each other 10 years from now or, like, in a foreign place. And, you know, these these people are going to be friends for life. And, um, and thank you for the ride. I think that's probably one of the, the biggest takeaway from the past 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Yeah. And final question that I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. With what you do, yes. what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Bunch of good food. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> bunch of good food, a bunch of laughs. I think that's all I really want, you know, like, and it's one of those things I always tell Pearl jokingly. I'm like, if I ever you know, like, get fired at this job or, you know, like, Dickie Zumps fail. I want to be a comedic actor. And then she would just kind of laugh at me, you know, like, and uh, so, yeah, like, you know, like, I want to bring joy to people. It's a cliche to think, but, like, or to say, but, you know, through food and through laughs, it's kind of like, you know, we, you know me long enough that we never take ourselves too, too seriously. And as, you know, that's how life, life is short here. Like, live, live through it with some laughter with some good friends good company good food and that's pretty good like right sounds like a good life sounds like a good life yeah well dixon lee uncle dad as we call you i know we call him uncle dad because he takes great care of us (laughs) thank you thank you yes i i'm so grateful for you i'm so Mm -hmm. grateful for our friendship and so thankful that you're part of my friend fam you're part of my chosen family thanks for supporting me all these years and I just love you, Uncle Dad. Love you too. I'm super like I don't think I actually said said this to your face yet, but I'm super proud of you what you've built in the last two years. That was a big leap of faith leaving Rene. And you're killing it right now. So all love, all hugs, and I'll see you at a dinner. Yes. Probably sometime this weekend. Yes, probably. <laughs> probably right. this weekend. Yeah, probably sometime this weekend. Sure. Thanks, Dickie. Thanks, May. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.